You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Everybody, good to be with you as always. If I have not met you, um, I think everybody, mostly I have, but my name is Riz. I'm the pastor here at Reality Honolulu and uh, so blessed every Sunday to gather and worship you. And like, um, man, so many of you feel, and I, I testify to it, um, such a sweet faith family that God has built and is adding to. And um, it's really encouraging the stories I hear all week of. You guys loving each other and meeting each other's needs and so, so encouraging about what God is doing. Um, and if you've been here on Sunday mornings, you know that we're going through the book of Exodus. And uh, that's what we do. We, we have some worship, do some announcements to, to make sure we're aware of what God is doing and to get us involved with his, with his kingdom. Um, but then we're jumping into the word of God and making our way systematically through the book of Exodus. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, please open to Exodus chapter 13. Um, if you don't have one, as always, we have Bibles in the back that you can grab on your way in. Uh, you can use it for the time. If you don't have one, you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Uh, and always, we do have it on the uh, PowerPoint screen as well. Uh, we're going to be reading Exodus 13, 17, where we left off last week. Through the end of chapter 14 is going to be our time today. Uh, crossing the sea. We're going to see some, uh, that when, when Israel passes through the Red Sea, very pivotal. All of us know the story probably already, but it's so important that we grasp it and dig in. Um, we're going to be reading out of the NIV, and uh, because it's a, a, a big swath of text, most weeks we have someone for the body come up and read, and um, today we have a dear woman that uh, loves us all so well, so well, and really is the face of reality Honolulu, Absolutely. She's at the door every Sunday, and if you forget her name, no worries, because she doesn't forget yours. She has all your names memorized, and she's the go-to. Let's welcome up the amazing Winter Pereira. Love you. She's going to be reading the scripture for the day, and then we'll get into it. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mike. That's my bad. To hold this and read is really challenging. Okay. Uh, Exodus 13, chapter, uh, number 17, starting. When Pharaoh let the people go, did, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Phi Harithoth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think 
the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Phi Haritha, opposite Baal, Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water, water followed, uh, flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground 
with the wall of water on their right and on their left. The day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Thank you, Winter. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for where you have us today in your word. And we thank you, God, that this is a true historical story of how you rescued your people out of slavery. And God, there's so much that you were teaching them, and you're teaching the nation of Israel. And you're teaching us today. There's so much we can get out of this that we see of your character and your reasoning and your purposes and all of it. And God, we, we do pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in our individual lives, where we're at. Um, whether we've been walking with you as, as your disciples for a long time or short time or, or maybe don't even really know you in that way yet. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us where we're at. We know you're able to, God. So meet us, Father. Speak to us. We pray that you'd go before us, be in our midst, and go behind us, just as you did the children of Israel. And we see so vividly today. Thank you that you are our God and our Savior, our protector and our Redeemer. So we ask that you'd uh, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. What I uh, personally love most about this local expression of God's family, that's what you could see as a, as a local expression of God's universal church, right? Our little church is so special to me. Part of it, part of you guys are so special, is that there's so many different life stages that are represented here. And, and I, I see that as an absolute gift. There's uniqueness in each of us and what we've been through, and we all add and contribute to one another. And I think that's what's been, you know, something that we've prayed towards and been so important to us that it wouldn't just be like, Reality Honolulu is this church and it's that and all of a sudden it's only that. But it would be a representation, right? A church for everyone uh, and most importantly is an intergenerational makeup of a faith family. And uh, I hope you can see that there's so much value in worshiping beside people of different ages and backgrounds and ethnicities and so much beauty in that. Um, and when it comes to, to that, that uniqueness, each of us have these different life stages or even in life in general, and we have expectations about these life stages. We have thoughts, we have ideas, we have hopes, we have aspirations, we have what we want them to look like, right? When we think about our lives, we you know, if you're, you're younger, maybe you think ahead, and if, if you're older, maybe you think back, or maybe you think, what's next? But each of us, in our different life stages, right, whether it's you're single, or you're married, or kids, or your kids are grown up, or you're retired, each of these life stages have their joys, their letdowns, their ups and downs, and their complexities. But in each of these stages, we can at times, or all the time, maybe have trouble with our life or our life story, right? And maybe it's different seasons or there's different times in our lives where we feel it a bit more. But all of us have expectations, like 
Oh, it's not working out how I wanted it. Oh, I'm not married by this certain age, or I'm not in this far in my career at that time, and we get let down, right? We wish that, or we wish this, and it seems like we're always wanting and always wishing, and right, we get the phrase, the grass is always greener. We compare, we look to the world, we look to other people, we look to other families, other relationships, other marriages, other, other whatever, and, and a lot of times in different life stages, we, we have these expectations of how our life should go. And for me, I've always been in like loved adventure. Just like I, I grew up in the 80s and um, movies like The Goonies, have you ever seen that? Indiana Jones and The Goonies like defined my childhood. Adventure, treasure, pirates, fun. Just, if, I, if my life could just be fun and adventurous, I'd be good. Then I get into high school, and Lord of the Rings trilogy comes out. And it's just the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like, I, I want to be in it. Like, you know, there's so much good stuff in Lord of the Rings. Okay, I'm kind of a Lord of the Rings fan. So there's adventure, there's friendship, there's purpose, there's good versus evil, and ultimately, the good guys win. And in my mind, I'm like, this is the story that I want to live. This is what I want to do. I, I want my life, at the end of my life, to be like a Lord of the Rings story. It's funny, um, I don't know if you guys did that face app this week. I did, I did it before the whole Russia thing came out. So, But what I'm going to look like when I'm older, according to that, is this. I'm Bilbo. <laughs> I am Bilbo. So that's already happening, guys. So that's got something to look forward to. Um, <clears throat> They are so good. Anyway, that's, that's me coming up. Um, but I did that, right? But for me, it's like if my life, different stages, could be fun and adventurous and new. And yeah, there's ups and downs, but it ends and it's great. You look back, you know, you look at the end of Lord of the Rings and you look back and you're like, wow, this was this crazy adventure. So for me, I'm, I'm still living in that. And, but when my life is outside, this is kind of where it is actually kind of serious. When my life is like not adventurous or not fun and I'm doing the same thing all the time and monotonous and there's not like a Lord of the Rings story going on. When I stay maybe in the bad parts of it, right? The chapter in life, it's the bad parts. I have like a hard time with that. I struggle because it's not how I want it. I want it to be this thing and that and the other. And we all, I think if this is you or it's ever been you, this story today in Exodus is, is literally what's happening. It's what's happening with the children of Israel as they leave Egypt. They have this like struggle with, whoa, 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 things are not going right. This is not how it should be. God, what have you done? After all of this good stuff, this amazing story that God's telling, they have this, this chapter in their life, literally a Bible chapter for us, and things are not going well, and, and, and they kind of lose it. This is our story today. And if you've been with us, just to kind of pick up where Winter just read, like the plagues have just happened. God has miraculously rescued his people out of slavery, right? 430 years of the worst slavery you could think of. Uh, generational brutal slavery has finally come to an end. God has rescued them. It's miraculous. It's crazy, but it's awesome. And now 600,000 men plus their families, two and a half million people, are now fleeing. 
They're fleeing this country where they've been oppressed to start a new nation, the nation of Israel. This is what's happening. And they're heading towards the promised land via the Sinai Desert. They're, they're, they're going towards Israel. And there's a few things that from this text, from this rich text that we have today, that we can learn and apply. If you're taking notes, this is the time to take notes. Uh, there's three points. God is the author of the story. This is something that Israel learned and we can learn. God is the author of the story. Number two, trusting in how God is writing the story, that we need to do that. Number three is just to enjoy the story God is writing. We're going to move through those, and then uh, that's going to be our time today. So number one, God is the author of the story. This is the truth. A lot of times we think we're the writer, we're the captain of our own soul, we're writing this thing, we are determining it, but no, God is sovereign and in control, and he's actually allowing it all to happen. And God is writing a story for all humanity. And we see this very vividly from creation till about the first century, right after Jesus, in Scripture. And it's mainly Israel's story, post-creation, and then uh, as the gospel reaches out to Africa and Europe, as the, the, uh, the New Testament, as the, as the gospel spreads. But also, that's, that's one story, that's part of humanity's story, right? It's kind of concentrating on the nation of Israel. But God is writing each of our stories, which is a part of the story he's writing for the world, he is the author. And again, we believe this because we believe that God is sovereign, right? He's in control. He's allowing all this to happen. He's the actual author, and we really struggle with this. We might intellectually say, oh, yeah, God's in control. He knows everything. He's got it. But when it comes to our own life, I think a lot of times we make exception. Oh, well, no, but God, like, this is how I want to do it. And what about this? And what about then? I mean, I know you have that for me, but I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's right. We really struggle with this, and so does Israel, which we'll see. So what happens is, is that Israel right, is in Egypt. They leave Egypt, and the direct route to Israel, or the shortcut, is not the one that God has them take. This would have made sense. It would have made sense to... Uh, as we like to say, work smarter and not harder. Because this was an indirect route. This was a lot more ground to cover. But that, actually, that saying doesn't really work with the Lord. Like it doesn't really. A lot of what God does is illogical to us because he has greater things in store. He has more planned. He has more purpose than we can even imagine. And so for even Israel, they really struggle with this. Why aren't we going the short way? Why aren't we going that way instead of this way? There's something more that God wanted to do because the way in which God is leading his people is an indirect route. And it's important ge geographically that we uh, kind of understand this. So I have, a, I have a little map. I don't know if you can see it. Okay, this may be hard. I might have to get up here. Hold on. Okay, so this is where they are in slavery. And the promised land where they're ending up, Jericho, modern-day Israel, is up here. Do you see the traveling they're doing? This is, this is the wilderness. We're going to get to that in a few weeks, the wandering in the wilderness. But the shortcut would have been up here, but instead what they're doing is uh, this really interesting route that pins them right against the Red Sea instead of just going straight to the point. Okay. 
And what God is doing, it's not like they're lost. God is leading them very clearly by what we see today is a cloud by day and fire by night. Again, we don't know exactly what this looked like, but it was big enough, clear enough for like, think of two and a half million people to see it. I mean, this is like a big cloud and like a big pillar of fire. Like there's been many drawings and movies, but maybe like that. I don't know. Right? You got all these people and uh, there's a big pillar of fire, but God is clearly leading his people in an indirect route, not a shortcut. And it was confusing. I mean, excuse me, it wasn't confusing and it wasn't unclear which way they should go. Follow the cloud, follow the fire. That's where God is leading you. Follow that. Follow me. It's pretty hard to miss it, right? It's right in front of them. And the truth is, is that God always clearly leads us. We, we may not believe that, Eve. We have trouble with that. But he is our good shepherd. There's so many times throughout scripture that we're referred to the sheep and he's our shepherd and he leads us and he knows what's best and he corrects and he guides and he's the good shepherd. And even King David, the famous Psalm, Psalm 23, right, speaks of this language of, of God leading him through good and through bad. Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. I have all that I need. He leads, excuse me, he lets me rest in green meadows, and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honors to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. But look at that real quick, because it, it applies to Israel. God is leading in this psalm us, David, and God leads into that dark valley. God leads us sometimes into dark valleys. This is exactly what Israel is going to find out in a second. But for, uh, like for the children of Israel, they didn't have the word of God like we do, nor the spirit of God in them. But these are things that lead us, right? Like we have the word of God, which is the will of God. And we have the spirit of God in us, right? Ephesians chapter 1 says the moment that we're saved, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise or as an inheritance of our redemption. God with us, Emmanuel, God dwells in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. We have God's word and we have God's spirit to lead us, to guide us, to show us, right? And so God's word, it is stories of how God works in humanity, but it's also a guide for us, right? Psalm 119, if you've never read it, it's the longest chapter in the Bible and it's all about the word of God. It's the word of God talking about the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible, your word is the one thing that guides me in light, in light and dark times. The Holy Spirit, like I just talked about, he's our counselor, he's our teacher, he's God with us. And of, yes, of course, there are specific things in our lives that aren't in here. Should I take that job? Should I move? Should I marry that person, right? There's all those questions where are like, I didn't find it in Nehemiah. 
I didn't find it. Mark chapter 12, I didn't see it, so I didn't know what to do. Of course. But we can get a lot by his word, through prayer, and his leading, with counsel. God does speak to us. He does show us. He does guide us. But people get tripped up with that a lot. That's a whole other sermon. But I want to encourage us with something. God has more grace than you can imagine if you get that stuff wrong. We get so tripped up on the will of God and what I should do that sometimes it paralyzes us because we don't know what to do. God's got so much grace for you if you just make a mistake. Just try your best to honor him. Go for it. God's, God's bigger than, than our mistakes. Amen? I'm glad he is. But think about it. The word of God and the spirit of God is, 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 is right here and is with us. And for Israel... It's really hard to miss where they should go, right? Unless you're like closing your eyes and looking the other direction. It's a pillar of fire and it's a cloud and everybody's going that way. But you could say the same about us. How many Bibles do we have at our house? The Spirit of God's in us. How clear is it actually how God wants us to live and how he leads us? But so often we're like, God's not with me. I don't have any clue what to do with my life. And you're like, have you ever read it? Have you ever read the five that are on your bookshelf right now? Like, we're, you know, we're so spoiled, actually, with how much we have of God. So that's just one note. Like, hey, God, God is leading us. He's the author of the story. Right? And then number two, second point today is trusting in how God is writing the story. So this is hard. Like, we can say, like, God, it's your story. Yep, it's a good one. But then are we trusting him when the story actually plays out? Because God, in this route that he has clearly led them to, has actually led them into a trap. Uh, Militarily, this is the worst place that you could be. This is the worst place that Israel could have left Egypt and gone to, especially, it's the worst case, if, let's just say, 600 of the best soldiers on chariots and the best army in the world at the time, which is Pharaoh's army, Pharaoh's cavalry of special forces is what it is. They're angry, they're over it, and they're bloodthirsty. Israel has been hemmed in by mountains and the Red Sea, and there's two and a half million, and there's one way out, and Pharaoh's coming. God has miraculously, by pillar and a cloud, led them into a trap. This is the worst place to be, and they see, it, they see Pharaoh coming, and what do they do? They lose it. They lose it. There is no sense of celebration. All hope is gone. And they've literally forgot everything God has done in a moment. Last week we talked all about the importance of remembering what God has done. Four moments like this. Like literally God pounded it into them last week. And so did we. Do not forget what I've done. Do not forget my past track record because you're going to encounter something and you need to remember what I did then to get you through now. Israel, at the first sign of Pharaoh's army, loses it. (laughs) And they start not only complaining, but they go to like crazy places. Like their logic is crazy. Exodus 14, 11, they say, why? Like they're like complaining to Moses, right? Can you imagine two and a half million people complaining? This is like more than a riot. They're, They're complaining and what they're saying is, Moses, did you bring us here? To die because there wasn't like enough graves in Egypt? And Moses is like, whoa, slow down. Like, no. We're, we're, you guys just gone zero to a hundred. 
You're rejoicing? 400 years of slavery? There's nothing more happy to rejoice over. Your whole nation has been freed. And then, like, moments later, we're going to all die. We're dying. We're dead. This is the worst thing ever. Why did you do this? Why'd you do this, God? But think about that. Like, why would have God delivered them through all these plagues, through all these miraculous movements, only to allow them to perish in the desert right outside of the city? It's illogical. But so many times we do the same thing. We lose it. And what they're doing here is they're focusing on their circumstances compared to fixing their gaze and confidence on their God. They fail to remember who God is and what he's done. And all of a sudden, we have this problem, this SOS, this emergency is coming towards us. And they fail to remember all that God has done. They take their eyes off of Christ. This isn't the only time this has happened in Scripture. It actually happens a lot. We see this pretty vividly with the disciples. And you think the disciples, the 12 guys that Jesus, like, has poured into for three years, you think they're, like, the strongest and the best. And, like, so Peter, right, Matthew 14, it's pretty cool, but Jesus is walking on water. Jesus says, Peter, come to me. Come to me. Jesus is looking at, I mean, Peter's looking at Jesus, and he begins to walk, and he walks on water. But then... The wind starts picking up. What does Peter do? He stops looking at Jesus. He looks at the wind and waves, and Peter starts sinking. He literally let his circumstances fall, made him fall. He he, he didn't concentrate on Jesus anymore. Jesus wasn't the center. It was everything around him. We also see this in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus calms the storm, right? So the disciples and Jesus are on the boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is sleeping. He's just getting a little siesta in. He's napping. And a storm comes, and the disciples lose it. Like, they, they're, like, fearing for their life. They think the boat's going to sink. And Jesus is still asleep. they got to wake him up. And in a moment, what does God do? What does he do? He calms the storm. Like, why have you guys tripped out? You have little faith. I'm with you. Why are you doing this? But, guys, can't we relate to that? No matter how many times the Lord delivers us in the past, no matter how significantly we see his power, you know, exerted on our behalf, some new trial comes along and we forget God's previous interventions and we're swallowed up, right, by the greatness of our present emergency. SOS, emergency, I lose it. This is what Israel, this is what's happening. And, and truly, the only cure... For this fear is for our eyes to remain steadfastly fixed on the Lord, right? And if we're occupied with our circumstances and our surroundings, it's going to be fatal to us. Like, it's going to be fatal to our peace. This is exactly what's happening here in Israel. And what's crazy, though, is God is allowing all this to happen. He's very purposeful. There's purpose and there's reason why God is allowing them to go through this, right? Israel hadn't been brought into their present predicament by themselves. It was by God. God literally said, hey, come, I want to put you in a trap. I want to put you through the fire right now. 
I want to push you in the, in, the, in the olive press, so to speak. And so many times we see that the greatest fruit, the greatest lessons, the greatest growth in our own personal sanctification and our own process of becoming like Jesus is in the fire, is in the crushing, is in the trap. And this is an important truth that we lay hold of that we shouldn't expect the path of our faith to be easy or smooth, but we should trust that God is writing the story, and he knows what's best. And for Israel, God is trying to show them, like, I got you. I have you. Trust me. Because for them, right, they're following the pillar of fire and the cloud. They turn around. Egypt's there. They're going to die. But then what does God do? He just moves the pillar of fire in front of them. We're good, right? That's what he's like saying to them, like, I just had to move the fire. We're good. Want to see what I can do with the sea? Like, he, right? Like, God is just, it's so easy. It's so big. He's the author of the story, and it's a good story. And so many of us would say in this point, like, oh, you know what? I just need to trust the process. Right? We just need to trust the process. But I think a better saying is, let's trust the God who's the author of the process. Because he's putting us through that process. He's leading us. And there's purpose in his leading, even if the season of life we're in looks like a trap. Looks like worst case. Looks like there's no way out. Looks like, God, how could you possibly? I obeyed you, and now you've led me here. Because that's, that's a problem we have, right? God, I've obeyed you. I've listened to you. I've, I've said yes. I've, I've actually denied myself, and I've, I've said no to that sin, and all of a sudden, you've led me into the wilderness. And God's like, exactly. And I have much in store for you. I have good things, better than you can even imagine. Just keep following. Keep obeying. Keep trusting. This is exactly what's happening here. And the last thing that I think we can learn so much from is we need to enjoy the story God is writing. Like in faith, these guys had to step out. This, this had to happen, right? Moses had to, once, the, once they see all this happen over the, the Red Sea, Moses in faith had to stick out his staff in faith, trusting that this is really weird, God, but you're going to part this thing. Like we're going to die, but I'll put my staff out. The same thing happens like 40 years later when they finally get to the promised land and the Jordan, like the river Jordan, just like the Red Sea, parts, but the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant have to step in the river first and get their feet wet before it even dries up, right? They had to step out in faith, but then God showed up and it was amazing. Right, Exodus 13, uh, 14, 13, and 14 says this. Don't be, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's a nice way of saying, like, Israel, stop it. <laughs> Calm down. Stop it. Like, like, stand still. Like, be calm. This is what he's saying here. Like, don't be afraid and stand still and watch me work. This is literally what God is saying. Right? Psalm 46.10 says the same thing. Be still and know that I am God. In other translations, it would say, cease striving and know that I'm God. Like, stop fretting. 
Stop trying to do this on your own. Trust, believe, and sit back and watch me. Watch me. I want to unfold this wonderful story in your life. And yeah, sometimes it is dangerous. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's hard. But I have a story that I'm unfolding, and it's a good one. Stop fretting. Stop trying on your own and just watch me. This is what God is saying to them. This is what God's saying to us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, there's a little commentary on what happens here, right? Hebrews in the New Testament is commentating on what's happening. Hebrews 11, 29 says, By faith they, children of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. God has, is, and will continue to write an amazing story if we would just get over ourselves and look. Right? That's why I love, this is what's so cool. Like, by faith, they passed through. So they had to believe that God was going to do it. Right? They had to stretch out the staff. They had to do it. But I think it's so significant. And maybe it's not. And maybe I'm just extrapolating the text and thinking something cool when it's not. But here's the deal. When it says dry land, I, that speaks like almost the loudest to me because imagine you've got the children of Israel, right? It's been a long day. The seas have already parted and you've got your belongings, you've got your kids, you've got your livestock, you've got, a, you've got two and a half million people walking through the Red Sea. I imagine that normally that would be like the worst thing to walk through muddy, mucky, like, just, you're, this is like the worst trail. And honestly, if I was walking, and even God was doing this miraculous thing, I would be like, this is the worst. Like, my kids are getting stuck, they're falling down, you're in the mud. Have you ever walked a long time through the mud? It's the worst. But God doesn't do that. In this, like, really cool moment, I'm maybe making it up, but it's cool anyway. It's dry land. What do they have to look at? It's not their feet. It's literally the walls of water around them. And for the whole walk, they just get to trip out. They're like, what is happening here? God has parted the Red Sea. Like, we're protected against Egypt. They're not even, they're not even worried about where they're walking. They're just able to look and watch and enjoy the story God is writing. It's incredible. But most importantly for us what this is. Not only is it a cool story for a people thousands of years ago that God rescued, but this is a picture of the gospel, right? Egypt is synonymous with sin. It's a picture of sin and an old way of life and evil and rebellion. And what we deserve as sinners is death, is that sea. We deserve to drown in that sea. We deserve to die. We deserve judgment for our sin that we've accrued against God. But when God and God alone parts the sea and he takes his people out clearly and then he swallows up the Egyptians and he closes the door once and for all of sin, so to speak. That is exactly what God did through his son on the cross. That it's only by his son that he made a way for us to God. What, what, what the parting of the Red Sea not only is it a testimony of God's power and his might and his justice, but it's also... A picture, a foreshadowing, a reminder of what Christ has done for us, that he saved us. And how has he saved us? Nothing but faith. He did all the work. 
We just have to believe and have faith and follow. Right? That, that's the Exodus story. We can enjoy the story of God that God is writing in our lives. The reason why we can enjoy it, even the bad parts, is because we know the end of the story. What's the end of the story? It's victory for all of eternity. Like death doesn't have a sting. All the bad parts, all the sickness and all the tears and all the violence and the murder and the death is going to be gone when we're in heaven. Like we know the ending of the story. So every other part of the story is just an adventure. Right, like Lord of the Rings, going back to Lord of the Rings, right? Because like there's victory and the good wins and like there's a good ending. Every other part is just a fun part. Even the bad parts is adventurous because it always is going to end in victory. And so for us, instead of getting so caught up with our circumstances and our particular stage of life, we need to remember that because of the cross, because of what God did on our behalf, we have a good ending to the story and everything else is going to be okay. There's one big adventure with Jesus. And if there's one thing I hope that you've been picking up in the book of Exodus as a way of kind of wrapping it up right now, is God very, very clearly is trying to get our attention to trust him and step out in faith. It's not a coincidence that God has us in the book of Exodus. It's not a coincidence that we've all been coming. God desires that we fix our eyes upon him, trust in him, despite the season that we're in. And especially when it's not a good one. But this is for our lives, like in the big and the small. The story that God is writing is a good one. Trust him and enjoy it as you watch him work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the author of our story. Thank you that you're in control. And even when you allow us, and you allow, like what we would say is bad things to happen to us, you have purpose. There's reason. There's meaning. There's lessons that you want to teach us. But God, I'm the first to admit where we have trouble is just trusting you in it. Believing it's good and, and what's right and what we're supposed to be. And so, God, help us. We corporately, like the disciples, say, God, I, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. We admit, God, that we, 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 we struggle with trusting you writing the story. We so often want to take the reins and do it ourselves, and we're so easily comparing and Wishing we had something different, but God, you have us right where you want us. And it's good, and it's right, and it's perfect, because it's your will. And so, God, we pray as we worship you now that we would worship you for the God that's in control, for the God that's able, for the God that's victorious, and that saved us from our sins. Thank you for this, Lord. And we pray that you would get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.